0: Welcome to the 180 Ministry Podcast. Please check us out at the 1 80.org. As we go into our topic today, do you guys have seen we are covering the subject matchless? Love, all right, matchless love. I know the thoughts. So, in light of this, I was thinking, man, you know, we've covered a lot of prophecy, we've covered a lot of powerful things, and even prophecy is given from the perspective of God's love, right? God tells us that which is to come to pass before it come to pass, because he loves us greatly. And so he's saying, I don't want to leave you in the dark. I am going to shed light that you may know what is coming. And so I was thinking, man, out of all topics that Jesus loved the most to focus on, out of all of them, can anyone guess what he loved to focus on the most? And as a result, it was intertwined in every other topic. (laughs) You got it. (laughs) We actually read this in a powerful book And let me see, I think it's up here. Powerful book by the name of Testimonies to Ministers and Gospel Workers, page 142. The statement goes as follows. Christ's most favorite theme was the paternal character and abundant love of God. Above all other subjects, Christ wanted to bring before the people. It was the reality that God is love. Because you see, What had the devil done in the context of the battle between good and evil? He had tarnished the reputation of God in the minds of men. Therefore, Christ came to show men what God was really like. In being compassionate to others, in being kind to others, in rebuking sin because it was hurting others, Christ was revealing what the Father was really like. And so as we look into that holy life, we see a revelation of what God is like. But you remember, Christ's work did not begin in the New Testament. I hear many people say to me at times, Akeem, you know, I like the God of the New Testament, but I'm not so sure I'm cool with the God of the Old Testament, right? But the thing is, Brother Bobby, what what are they? They're the same. And if we look carefully at the Old Testament, we see the grace of God in abundance. If we look carefully, and if we look in the New Testament, we also see that even while the grace of God was being manifested, we also see God's judgment as well. But we must look carefully to see the consistency in the Old and the New Testament. Not only that, you remember, who was the God who was communicating with men in the Old Testament? christ christ was the one who was communicating with men and women it was he who spoke to moses at the burning bush it was jesus christ who appeared to samson's parents and told them, a child will be born unto you and he will be a nazarene it was not only that friends the very ones that communicated with adam and eve in the garden it was the son of god from the very genesis of man to, To man's very end, it is Jesus communicating with human beings. On the Father's behalf, as it is written, I believe it's John chapter 1 and verse 18. He who was in the Father's bosom, the only begotten Son, because no man had seen the Father at any time. The only begotten Son came from the Father's bosom, meaning from his heart, to reveal that heart to humanity, to declare it. John 1.18. So as we go into this today, we're going to go into a story in the Old Testament that brings this out more. So if you have your Bibles with you, go with me in your Bibles to the book of Jeremiah chapter 29. Jeremiah chapter 29, and we're going to look at the love of God here. Jeremiah chapter 29. And as you go there, we're going to start off at verse 4. But I want you to keep in mind that one of the major verses in Jeremiah... The book of Jeremiah, as you go to Jeremiah 29, keep that there, is I'm going to read a text to you, and this is in Jeremiah 31, verse 3. As you go to Jeremiah 29, it says there, The Lord had appeared of old unto me, saying, Yea, or yes, I have loved thee with an everlasting love, and with loving kindness I have drawn thee. So what kind of love does God love us with? An everlasting love. The promise was to Jeremiah, but every promise in the Word of God is for each and every one of us to claim. God has loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, He has dealt with you and I through the lens of loving kindness, not giving us as we deserve, but treating us as Christ deserved. All right, so Jeremiah chapter 29, and we're going to look at verse. Four. When you are there, say amen. All right, so the context of this chapter is that Israel, after the days of Solomon, was divided into two sections. One section was the kingdom of the north, and the other was the kingdom of the south, or the territory of the south. The kingdom of the north, after the days of Solomon, was under the leadership of a man named Jeroboam at first. And then the kingdom of the south was under the leadership of a man named Rehoboam, the son of Solomon. So as this happened, the ten tribes that were under Jeroboam, they were, of course, the majority. But they were doing a lot of false worship. And then on the other hand, you had on Rehoboam's side, you had the same apostasy, but it was less as time would go along. Now, as time went along, what happened was the 10 tribes that were part of the northern kingdom, starting off with Jeroboam, they went so quickly into apostasy, so deeply, that by 722 BC, they were taken into captivity by the Assyrians. And friends, when they were taken into captivity by the Assyrians, Their captivity, they lost so much hope that they intermingled with the Assyrians. And Assyrian intermingled with Israelite equals, does anyone know? Samaritan, right? So hence, when Jesus met with this woman at the well, and as they were talking, this woman was a woman of Samaria. And you remember what happened? When he was talking to her, She knew of Jacob's well. She drew from Jacob's well, and she talked about the worship of the true God while at the same time having false gods, right? So there was an intermingling of Jewish religion and also or Bible religion and pagan religion. So Israelite plus Assyrian equals Samaritan. That's what the 10 tribes ultimately became. So they completely lost their identity. All right, does that make sense? All right, so on the other hand now, the other side of Israel, the southern side, that was once under Rehoboam, they were, it was two tribes, Judah and Benjamin, and they were under the overarching title of Judah. Now they apostatized more slowly than their brethren who were part of the ten tribes. So it was later on now, because their apostasy came to the full after the ten tribes, that God allowed them to be taken captive by Babylon. Okay? And we know of those stories with Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Does anybody remember what kingdom they stood faithful in? Babylon, right? So as we're looking at this now, I was looking at this and I realized this was actually the context of Jeremiah 29. It is a people that have been taken into captivity because of apostasy. A people that would not listen to God, would not listen to the cries of the prophets to call them back to God. And as a result, God gave them warning after warning after warning. To tell them that if they did not follow God and God removed Himself from the picture, protection is gone and other nations would come and rule them. And ultimately, friends, Babylon came and they took the Israelites that were in the territory of the south, Judah and Benjamin, captive. And they were in captivity, the Bible tells us, for 70 years. Now, as they were in captivity, do you know what happened? Here's what we're going to look at. So Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse 4. You would think God would tell them, hey, all hope is lost. You've ruined it. You haven't listened to my prophets. One of my prophets, even Manasseh, King Manasseh, one of the worst kings in all, among all of God's people, took the prophet Isaiah and cut him in half. That's how he killed him. And many other prophets were persecuted because they brought the word of the Lord to the people, warning them of the coming captivity if they did not turn. But now the captivity came, and what did God say? So Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse 4 tells us this. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, unto all that are carried away captives. So he's speaking to those who have been taken to Babylon whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem unto Babylon. Look at what God says to them. You ready? Verse 5. Build ye houses and dwell in them. And where are they to build houses, by the way? In Babylon, right? Build ye houses and dwell in them. Plant gardens and eat the fruit of them. Take ye wives... And beget sons and daughters, and take wives for your sons, and give your daughters to husbands, that they may bear sons and daughters, that you may be increased where? In Babylon, right? And not diminished. And do what? Even further than this, verse 7 seek the peace of the city, whither I have caused you to be carried away captives. Remember, this is a pagan city now. And pray unto the Lord for it. For in the peace of that city shall you have peace. So friends, this is powerful what we're realizing here. God is telling them that while they are in captivity because of decisions that they themselves have made. Are they to rot in captivity? No. God says, even while you are in bondage, you must thrive in bondage. You know, this is a crucial lesson as it concerns how God manifests his love towards us. There are times, friends, when, yes, we are persecuted for standing for that which is right. There are times when we do what God wants and things still don't turn out as we desired. Does that mean we must give up hope? Does that mean we begin to do wrong? No. But there are times when in doing right, that the result is not a bed of roses. And God says, continue doing right. But what happens, and even in that point, because we know we're doing what's right, we can say, okay, even if the consequences come, at least I know I did what was according to God's word. I know that something better is coming. But what about the times? when the crises that come into our lives are because of what we have done. Many times, right? What about those times? What about the catastrophes that come into our lives because of our own decisions? God says to us this same promise in Jeremiah. When we end up in bondage, As a result of our own decisions, and we recognize that this has come about because of my doing, God tells us through this story, don't lose hope. Do not be afraid. If we come to God in the midst of our captivity, he will enable us to thrive even in that place. Even in the place that we find ourselves because of what we have done, God says, if you turn to me in captivity, I will cause you to thrive in captivity. The situation may not immediately change. The circumstances may remain the same. But you can thrive in it. God can cause you to rise even in that crisis. And sustain you. And not only sustain you. Realize what he says there. He says give your sons and daughters to be married. For the purpose of multiplication. So that means God does not only want us to thrive in crisis. But thriving in crisis looks like growing in crisis. It looks like becoming more than what you entered there as. You may have entered broken. But you can be made whole even in there. That is the kind of God that we're serving. A God that doesn't turn away from us. Because we have, we end up in situations that we're not supposed to be in. Christ comes to us right there. And it's amazing because you remember, name some characters. Amazing characters and I alluded to them at the beginning of the message. That you remember that were in Babylon and they were intensely... Blessed and empowered. Can you name some people for me? Daniel. Shajak. Meshach. Abednego. Tell me someone else. Nebuchadnezzar was blessed. Even as a pagan king, he was blessed, right, by that witness. So here's what I'm saying. Who was blessing those people in that captivity? So that means where was God in the Babylonian captivity? Right, he was right there with his people in Babylon. (laughs) He wasn't somewhere else. He was right there with them, not only allowing them to go into captivity, but he was with them in the captivity. That means, friends, if we find ourselves in trials today, Where we feel downcast, where we feel burdened, where we feel despondent because maybe the crisis is happening because of decisions we made, we can know that if we turn to God in that crisis before we even turn to him, we turn to him because he drew us to turn to him, which means he's there with you in that mess. He's there with you in that trial because he loves you. Amen? Does that make sense? All right, so as we're looking at this, we're seeing that we should thrive even in captivity that came about as a result of our own decisions. Now, why is God trying to do this? And friends, this is a powerful principle that blew my mind when I first learned it. And it changed my whole perspective of trials. It changed my whole perspective of even my mistakes and my sins. Let's continue reading. Verse 8, and we're going to come to this. It says, For thus saith the Lord... To the um the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, let not your prophets and diviners that be in the midst of you deceive you, neither hearken to your dreams, which ye be caused to dreams. For they prophesy falsely unto you, in my name. I have not sent them, says the Lord. In other words, what God is saying to them is, Hey, You may have people that may come to you and tell you contrary to what I'm telling you right now through Jeremiah. They may, you know, sometimes you think about something so much throughout the day that when you go to bed, you dream about it, right? That's probably what was happening in this situation. They were thinking so much of freedom because they were in captivity that they were dreaming about it. And as they were dreaming about it, what did they think it was? They thought it was God sending these things to them, but God told them no. If any man comes to you and tell you opposite, tells you opposite to what I'm saying to you through Jeremiah, that you will be in captivity and you must thrive there. If they tell you this is not gonna be long, this is not gonna happen, they are a false prophet. But not only that, God gives the time period as to how long they will be there. It says in verse 10, it says, Thus saith the Lord that after 70 years be accomplished at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good work towards you in causing you to return to this place. Meaning, from Babylon back to Jerusalem. All right? Now, as I was looking at this, I was thinking, why is God causing, calling them to thrive by his power even in the midst of a trial that they themselves brought about? And here's the reason. You remember, friends, when God delivered Israel from Egypt, that was the first great power that he delivered them from. They went into the wilderness, right? And as they went into the wilderness, I want to ask you something. Whenever a trial came up to test them, does anyone remember where they wanted to go back to? They wanted to go back to Egypt. You know what that tells me? That tells me while they were liberated physically, they were not liberated mentally. They wanted to go back to the very thing that God had delivered them from. The lesson that is being brought out here in Jeremiah chapter 29 is that the reason God is telling them to thrive in the midst of captivity is because he desired to free them Mentally, before he ever freed them, literally. Does that make sense? God wanted to free his people while they were in bondage, before he ever changed the situation. Why? Because there are times, even in our lives, when we have seen that because our characters were not prepared for the freedom that God wanted to give us, That when he finally gave that freedom, we misused it. That's why God must change our minds at times before he changes our situation. He must change how we think before he changes the trial. Before he ends what we are going through, he must end sin in us. He must change us before he changes the atmosphere that we may be in. God is good, friends, because he wants us to fit into the freedom that he gives us. He wants to know that when I give them this thing, they will thrive. And that's what happened to Israel, by the way, for a time. Once God freed them from Babylonian captivity after 70 years, through Ezra, Nehemiah, and others, there was a great revival that took place in Israel for a time. They were ready for it. And friends, God wants us to be prepared for the power that he wants to give us, for the freedom that he wants to give us. As I was looking through this, I was thinking about a few things and This is where it brings us to verse 11. We're seeing the context now of verse 11. So you're with me in your Bibles once again. Jeremiah 29, now we're at the scripture reading. Verse 11. It says, for I know. So God says, I'm going to do all of this in the midst of your crisis. Why? Because even though you may have brought this thing on yourself, even though at times we may have brought certain things upon ourselves, God's word to us is what he said to Israel. I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord. Thoughts of evil, of peace, and not of evil, to give you an expected end. Some translation says to give you a hope and a future. God's plan, even while we're in bondage, is to not only give us freedom, but to give us a future. It is to cause us to live in his freedom while at the same time growing in him. And that's something I was looking at in scripture. This is actually stated in Jeremiah chapter, um, actually Isaiah chapter 55, because I was looking at this and I was thinking, Lord, okay, you have thoughts, you have plans of peace toward us, but what does that look like in comparison to our plans? And how do we get it? All right, check this out. This is what we learn here. So we've seen Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse 11. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end. But how different are our thoughts from the thoughts of God toward us? This is what it states in Isaiah chapter 55, verses 7 through 9. And we're going to see the lens through which we finally begin to experience God's thoughts for our lives. It states here, let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his what? His thoughts. So lay aside, God is saying to the unrighteous man, lay aside your thoughts to embrace mine. Lay aside your thoughts and plans. That doesn't mean that we we don't plan our day out. It doesn't mean that we we don't Um, or we forsake organization. Of course, we should be orderly. But when it comes to establishing what we want, God says, forfeit your plans and your thoughts for my plans and thoughts. But here's what we must experience before we experience God's thoughts. We must lay aside our thoughts, and then it says, and let him return unto the Lord, and he will have mercy upon him. And to our God, for he will abundantly what? Pardon. That means there's another word for pardon in the Bible. Another way of saying it in the New Testament. The word there is justification. When we come to God in the midst of our captivity, God says, I will pardon you. As you have set aside your plans and your thoughts for yourself, and you have now come to accept my ways and my thoughts, I will forgive you pardon you and then I will give you the very life because you remember to be justified means to receive the life that we have not lived it is to receive the righteous life of the son of God and as we receive that life we receive all that rightfully comes to a life that is lived in righteousness and so God says here he says I will abundantly pardon For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my thoughts higher, or my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. So the highest thoughts that you can think Concerning yourself, God says, my thoughts are even higher than that. That shows you, friends, God created us that we might reach in our lives the very thoughts of God, that we might become an expression of what God thinks. This is some deep stuff. When I realized this, I was like, whoa. That is insane love because what it means, what this means is, God is saying we are finite creatures and our plans for ourselves are, yes, it may be continual development, but it is limited. God says, if you embrace my thoughts, my plans for your life, which is of course revealed in the word and as he guides us along the path of life, those thoughts, are his thoughts, which means in its scope, how wide and how high are the thoughts of God? Friends, they are endless. Do you know this is the reason we are given immortality, by the way? The reason that we are given eternal life at the second coming of Christ is so that God's plan for us can continue to unfold throughout the ceaseless ages of eternity. In other words, we were created for infinite development—a development that has no limit. I was—I was—I was, I was, mess- I was uh, putting up a, a post on social media the, the other day, and it was the thought. This was a few months ago. If that is God's thinking toward us, I want you to catch this. If that is God's thinking toward us, that. From millennium to millennium to millennium, we grow in brilliance, in our operations, in how we act, in how we live, coming closer and closer to what God has called us to be, even though that closer is an infinity beyond. Friends, can you imagine the order of people that we will be after a million years passes by? It will be way beyond what we see even in our world right now the capacity that god has given man for development is amazing this is one of the reasons in genesis chapter 1 when god makes man he doesn't necessarily use the word perfect but he uses the word good all that god created was good and man was good And it says, woman was very good. Why the word good instead of perfect? Because what? (laughs) Yeah. Even though we were just what God wanted us to be when we were created, there was room for continual growth. Hence, he said, it is good. But can you imagine what it will be? That was God's plan for Adam and Eve. And the plan by God's grace can still be accomplished. If we give our lives over into the hands of God, he will use us not only to be a blessing to ourselves, but he will use us to be a blessing. The ripple effects of those blessings will be eternal in nature. Friends, God has a plan for our lives. And that plan can be accomplished as we lay aside our plans, receive the very life of Jesus over our lives, Pardon. And then begin to live that life out as it is revealed in God's word. As we live according to God's principles. My mom and I were even talking about it last night. She was doing research one day upon, about the, the, the phrase in the Bible, the heritage of Jacob or the heritage of Israel. And that phrase, when you study it, she studied it out and she realized that it was God's destiny for Israel to surpass and be superior to every other nation in the entire world in the days of Jeremiah. That was his plan. That when it came to spiritually, mentally, physically, in every arena of life, he desired that they would be superior. Why? Because God wants to have a specimen whereby he can reveal to the whole world what is possible for them. It is not that God thinks one group of people is better than the other. No, he wants to use one group of people as an example to the rest of the entire world of what they can experience. And God has an Israel today. You remember, we found out that who is Israel? Is Israel, respectfully I say this, is Israel literally, literally over in the Middle East? You sure? Are you guys sure? Sure. Israel, literally. Okay, that's true. So let's put it this way. Israel, while, yes, Israelite in genealogy, maybe over in Israel literally, are they Israel spiritually? No. Who is Israel spiritually? We are. are. In other words, Israel is not a geographical place anymore. Israel is worldwide For as it is written, all they who believe on Christ are Abraham's seed and heirs to the promise. Therefore, if you trust in Jesus Christ, you are Israel. God has a plan and a purpose for you, a plan to impact the entire world. And that plan, while literal Israel failed to accomplish it, God's dream will be realized. Through his Israel today, he will have a people that reveals his character to the world. And as a result, friends, that character revealed is what actually ends the world. The love of God and his thoughts being expressed upon the platform of our lives is what causes God to receive glory. All right, so as we look at this now, we're going to go to a statement I want to show you guys. This is really deep. And it's found in a powerful book by the name, Education. Education, page 18, paragraph four. And this is what it states. It says, higher than the highest thoughts. So we've realized God's thoughts are high towards us. But how high? What's the standard? Higher than the highest human thought can reach. So can our minds reach it? No. Higher than the highest human thought can reach is God's ideal for his children. It continues, what is the standard? What is the ideal? Now look at this. This is, it blew my mind. We usually see, yes, the word godliness in scripture. So it says, yet God. it says godliness. But friends, it goes beyond this. True, we cannot be God. No way, that's blasphemy, right? But friends... We can be like God in character. So hence it says godliness, God-likeness is the goal to be reached. Before the student, there is open a path of what kind of progress? Continual progress. He has an object to achieve, a standard to attain. That includes everything bad, everything good and pure and noble. He will advance as fast and as far as possible in every branch of true knowledge. But his efforts will be directed to objects as much higher than mere selfish and temporal interest. As the heavens are higher than the earth. Friends, godliness, god is the goal. To be like Jehovah in character. That blows my mind that we can live in this life as God lives in eternity. The way that his character is expressed is how he wants us to express it in our own lives. God is that good that he would bestow that privilege upon you and I. To reveal what he's like to a world that doesn't know him. To become like him. And to reveal him in our actions. So what we've seen here so far. As we've been looking at this concept. Of what God desires to do in us. Is that he desires. What we see here is as we begin in the creation of the world. I'll bring it up here. Is that the way that we lay it out. Final slide is that you have the creation of man. God's ideal for Adam and Eve. Were to grow infinitely. To experience his power and to continue to reveal that power and replenish the earth with the image of that power. But what happened to Adam and Eve? They fell. And so what is God going to do now? God says, my plan (laughs) is not going to be forfeited. I am going to still accomplish what I desire in man. And so God says, in order to do this, we must first come to him. And as we receive him, as he himself draws us, the result is the full restoration of the plan. The plan can still be accomplished, even in fallen human beings, if we are willing to place our lives in the hands of God. God wants to use your life as his portfolio, an example of what he can do in the life of every sinner that comes to him does this make sense amen can you see the love of god in this god is calling us and he says to us hey if you come to me the life that you will live i used to think before i was a christian that if i truly embraced the principles of scripture let me say it when i was a nominal christian i used to think that if i truly embraced the principles of scripture my life will be boring But as I began to receive the principles of God's word, I began to realize that life is actually bliss. In the midst of the thorns, even though there are thorns in the Christian experience, on top of those thorns are roses. Even though there is rain that comes in the sky of the Christian life, there is a rainbow after the rain. Even though at many points there may be darkness, if we look to God's word in faith, there is light in darkness. And friends, we can overcome as a result of that. There may be some of you here today wondering, Lord, I want your thoughts and your plans to be made manifest in my life. I want my life to be a platform upon which your glory can be displayed. Lord, I am going through trials right now that it may be as a result of doing righteousness or as a result of doing that which was opposite to God's will. But Lord, I need you nevertheless. If that is you and you want to have God's plans lived out in your life rather than your own, that you might be fulfilled, I ask you to stand as we pray. If you desire that God's thoughts may be lived out in your life, I ask you to stand as we pray. This is the call that I make. For friends, there is only true satisfaction when we live the life that God has called us to. A life of godliness, God-likeness. Amen? Amen? have a word of prayer as we close father in heaven i pray lord you see us standing here and you see that it is our desire to experience your plan for our lives some of us are already experiencing it and some of us desire to and i pray that you would make that desire alive draw us change us Pardon us and use our lives as a medium through which your love can be made manifest. We know that you have called us to this because above all else, you love us and you want us to experience a life worth living, a life that brings joy even in the midst of pain, a life where because we have you, we can continue pressing on. Do this in us and bring us fulfillment as we are connected with you. In Jesus Christ's name, let all of God's people say, Amen. Please look us up online at the 1-80.org and at the 180 YouTube channel. Please reach out to us with any questions or prayer requests. Until next time, thanks for listening.